Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. So first with us today, we got Bugs. What's up, everybody? And also with us today, we got DC. What up, do? And then on the fourth mic today, we got Dan the Man. I will also say what's up. Welcome back to the podcast, fellas. It's our first live podcast in about six months. And we still don't know what's up. No, we do not. <laughs> and... Today's episode is being recorded in front of a live studio audience, so we got D with us today, too. <laughs> Drink at Miller Lite, though, so we had to work on that. Like, it's, a very, it's a very, very, very budget beer. What are you going to do? So today, for the drink roundup, we got a bug special that he made for us, so I'll let you go ahead and explain this to us while I drink. So I picked up this Irish whiskey that I was super excited about. There's a show. For many of y'all who watch it, Peaky Blinders. And as they drop the new season, they drop the whiskey as well. And it's a Bushmills Prohibition recipe. And it has uh, the Shelby Company logo on it. Nice. So if you watch Peaky Blinders, I really like the bottle. And uh, I made a drink. It's called the Shelby, Shelby Sour. But, you know, I'm going to twist it, make it my own, and come up with my own little drinks, as me and DC discussed. But uh, it's Irish whiskey with orange liqueur. And simple syrups and lemon juice. So it's pretty simple. I was excited. It was my first drink I've like made with the first bottle of whiskey I purchased. So it's like nice. a big step. I'm excited to share it with y'all because if you watch Peaky Blinders, it's kind of a show about what we talk about. So cheers, everyone. What do you guys think of it? It's good. Yeah, I, I dig like it. it. Not bad for popping your cocktail cherry. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds grosser than it is. The drinks actually <laughs> taste better than that. <laughs> don't just stop there. Don't, don't say Damn, it. Actually that no could have kept flavor. getting worse. <laughs> exactly. That could have kept getting worse. Just leave it there. Tastes nubile. <laughs> so I, I like it. I think, for one, it's got good flavor, but I think Tank said it one time when he, we had one of the whiskey drinks. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It showcases the whiskey, the flavor. It doesn't hide it, you know. So it's not a cocktail where you're, you know, it's a foo foo drink. Like you could definitely taste whiskey, you know. You yep. could taste. It's got a little bite to it, but it's good. It's not a whiskey meat, yeah. you know. And it's really smooth. I think the liqueur took a slight amount of a little bit of the bite out, so it's like a really smooth drink. But you can taste a hint of everything in it, including the, including the orange. So. I like it a lot. And you put in a nice little orange peel in it. And you know me. I'm a sucker for some garnish in my drink. As soon as I see a chunky <laughs> chunk of something in my drink, I'm like, all right, this is either fancy or gross. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you appreciated it because I almost cut it off. But we decided to, you know, if I'm doing it, I got to do it right and go all out. So. Good choice. That's what I'm saying. Guard Way your nipples because he's out here <laughs> tweaking it. <laughs> what do you think, D? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up for sure. Oh, yeah. See? So that's a unanimous. See, he's got to work on his studio audience sounds. That should have been a woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So today, before we get started, I got to make sure we take the time to thank Sixfo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. Got to thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid roll. So you can follow them on Instagram. It's Swaino is it's Sixfo F O E. And then while you're on Instagram, you can follow us at Bad Guy Podcast. We're at Bad Guy Podcast on TikTok. You can also find us on Facebook and the Bad Guy Pod on Twitter. And then for today's episode, I also want to give a special thank you to Christian Cipollini, who was a primary resource for the guy we're covering today. And uh, I'll actually plug his book at the end of the episode, but we're actually hoping to have him on at some point for an interview. This is a guy that I've actually been wanting to cover since we started the podcast. And uh, if it wasn't for his book, we wouldn't be able to because this is one of those guys where there's not a ton of information. But luckily, thanks to Christian Cipollini, we was able to come up with enough to put together an episode. So drop some knowledge on you fools. You think he's cool with me calling him Chrissy Sips? (laughs) (laughs) We'll give it a shot. (laughs) Shout out Chrissy Sips. Um, So we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Chester Wheeler Campbell. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. It's always good when they got trace names. The Angel of Death, Dr. Death, and The Undertaker. Okay. I'm liking these AKAs. I feel so, like there's a lot of death. Yeah. And, the, and they're like the intimidating one, but they're also like a cooler, like intimidating. Right. It's not like the hammer, the ox. <laughs> this motherfucker is the Angel of Death. Well, see, the only thing about those two is hard to tell if those nicknames came from him being a bad guy. Or if he's actually in some type of profession where he happens to be a bad guy, but also like a mortician or something, right? Like you're taking the doctor uh, death as like literal, like yeah, he was a doctor. Be. Yeah, it could be like, no, like Doctor Kavorkian, right? Doctor <laughs> Death. He's See? not even a criminal. He is Doctor Kavorkian's like assistant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a little fucking man. Like his RN. <laughs> I was thinking this guy was all cool, the fucking Doctor Death Undertaker. Now I'm thinking of an. Old pale white dude, like a dish shovel. No, 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 I'm still picturing like a dark cloaked, large human. That's just what like, I like walking around and he touches your shoulder and you cripple. Like yeah, aggressive and like mysterious. Yeah, but like, he also has a name like Chester, which is throwing me off. So his, at least his AKA and AKAs are cool. The first Chester that I will not call Chester the molester. <laughs> well, they probably call him CW. That's what I'll call him. CW. Yes. Yeah, CW. So, Chester Campbell, he was born December 4th, 1930, in Detroit, Michigan. The fourth of six children. Oh, local, dude. Stay local. Fourth of six, we know what that means. Whenever it's a big family, it's always one that goes off the deep end, and then he goes crazy and starts murdering people. So, (laughs) that's usually the MO here. And what constitutes a big family is uh, how back in the day it is. If this was 50 years earlier... She'd have like eleven kids. True. In the nineteen thirties, it's like half a dozen. Now it's like two. Like <laughs> four is like a big family nowadays. Like wow, that's a big family. And that's that's middle child shit. So this right. motherfucker could, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> While in the second grade, his father passed away, leaving his mother to raise the children alone in the middle of the Great Depression. So they're not living the high life. No. By his early teens, uh, he was running the streets, participating in robberies, burglaries, that kind of thing. By ninth grade, he dropped out of school, which is about the first time he got arrested in 1945. Ninth grade? That's longer than most people we cover. Normally, it's like 
third grade, they hit the streets and started like what? So at yeah. least somewhat educated. See, it's funny you bring that up. On the last episode we did, I brought that up because uh, dude uh, dropped out of high school, and I was like, yeah, today that sounds crazy, but back in the day, it's like, yeah, he made it to high school. He's good. Right. <laughs> That's a lot of education, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of education in 1945. He is a doctor after all, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He went back and got his doctorate later. I mean, fuck. Ninth Spoiler, grade. Spoiler, dude. He, he could lie about his age and join the fucking Navy or some shit. Yeah, if he wanted true. to in the 40s, you know, he'd do whatever. First like, thing I would do is change my name from Chester to something else. <laughs> um. 1946, he got arrested, charged, and convicted of burglary, and was sentenced to 1 to 15 years, but he got an early release. That is a a very vague fucking judgment. (laughs) 1 to 15 years. And he would have been, what, maybe about 12 at this time? Ninth grade? No, 46. 14? No, he was born in 30, so he'd be 16. Oh, okay. okay. So, he got sentenced, he goes to prison, but he got an early release, so he only ended up doing a couple months. But 1950, he gets arrested again, and he gets charged and convicted with habitually robbing the same drugstore. <laughs> this man does not learn. That's cool. It's like hitting a multiplier in a game. Like, I mean, if you bonus, rob it bonus. once and you get the money right, you have to be able to go back and get more money. Isn't that how it works? I mean, like the old adage goes, rob me once, shame, shame on me. Robin can't get robbed can't again. Can't get robbed again. <laughs> uh, me and Locke were just discussing, like, parking in Detroit. Like, you used to be able to just park, and sometimes it was worth it to park on the street and just get the ticket. So he's yeah. like, well, I robbed this store and only got a couple months. You know what? I'm going to go back. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't blame them. There's the most vague fucking sentencing. They're like, 1 to 15. That sounds crazy. You're right. A couple months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's fucking wild. <laughs> 1950, he gets convicted again, and again, he gets an early release. So he goes and does a couple more months, and they let him back out of prison. Now he's a grown man. I am described as early on, he's 5'9", 164. Later in life, I got him at 5'10", 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. But I for do those days, that was, I was gonna say, that's a big a, guy. That's a big guy. Days. Well, and I know it said he wore a 17 and a half tailored shirt. Now, mm-hmm. I wear an 18, mm-hmm. and I got a big fucking neck. Mm-hmm. So, 17 and a half is a big fucking neck described as a good looking dude it's it, old pictures of stuff <laughs> Locks like whatever i want to fuck them <laughs> i don't know what they're talking about why this is my question though we've never done one of these and they be like the description is like yeah he was a really ugly man and every single time it was like he's a nice looking dude and we see the picture at the end and it's like that's what was nice looking in like 1940. It's I don't get never it. a nice. Yeah, it's looking never. A, yeah. Dude, you don't even have to go that far. Whenever motherfuckers start talking about how Jeff or not Jeffrey Dahmer, but uh, Ted Bundy was a good looking guy, and then you look at pictures of that guy, you're like, what? <laughs> what? The fuck are you talking about? He was charming though. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, say what you want. At least dudes do have a stereotype of what makes hot for the most part. Women, they're all over the fucking place. I don't know what they're talking about. Um, he has a big neck, all right? Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. You know what they say about guys with big necks? They wear size 17 and a half shirts. Uh, FBI, later in life, an FBI report had him documented as having an IQ in the 140s. Now, I know nothing about IQ scores. What does that mean? It's high. So, the 140 is genius level. 
Uh, mm. 155 is like Nobel Prize level, and then uh, like 160 or 165 is like genius, like super genius. Mm. Those have to be the technical terms. What? Genius, yeah. super genius. <laughs> Nobel <laughs> Prize. Nobel Prize, super genius. You get a 160, they just give you a Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> that seems fucking smart. You should get something for that. Now, that was back then. Is there inflation in today's IQ? Oh, that's, a, no, that's a good question. Well, the person who gave the IQ test is like IQ of 20, so it's like multiply. Like, who knows? <laughs> And I don't think this is much of a spoiler. I will say he tries seems to tend as the typical person with genius IQ because he there are some times where you're like, yeah, he does seem like he's smart as fuck. This guy's mm-hmm. got his shit together. And then sometimes he does some shit where it's like, you fucking kidding me? Like robbing the same store after you get <laughs> right. out of jail? He's like Two-Face. He's part meathead, part nerd. Well, I don't think high IQ means common sense. A right. lot of your smartest people... Don't really have common sense, you know, so. That's a high IQ statement. (laughs) Thank you. you I I think I'm like in the the 90, 95. I actually have a Nobel Prize for you. (laughs) Thank you. Not the 95th percentile. No, no. Like literally 95. 95. (laughs) (laughs) Which I actually think 95 is pretty good. I think that's like a round average. Okay, I made it then. (laughs) <laughs> I made it to average. Fuck yeah. 44 years, still average across the board, except my weight. So in 1955, uh, his thing is basically, he's like a stick-up guy. So him and uh, two guys in his crew, they decide they want to move up a notch, take this shit a little bit more seriously, and they decide to rob a gambling den where they collect the money for numbers. They're going up the from robbing regular stores to... You rob other criminals, you're usually hoping for bigger money, and they can't call the cops. Right. The old Tony Soprano move. Right. So they run up in this place, and they're holding them up, and there's a guy named Luther Mixon who tries to resist. Starts getting rowdy, and Chester ends up shooting Mixon in the head and killing him. Now, this is a crazy thing. The next day, Chester Campbell gets arrested on suspicion of a burglary from a while back. Mm Mm-hmm. Gets arrested, they can't get the evidence on it, and he gets re-released. And then a month later, he ends up getting picked up and accused of the murder murder. of Luther Mixon. Like, you know how nerve-wracking that had to be in prison? Or or in jail? That is an emotional roller coaster. It's like a a month delay on incidents. As soon as they tell him, like, we know what you did, he's, like, sweating bullets, then they bring up this old, he's like, oh, why are you bringing up old shit? (laughs) Yeah, I did it, or whatever. Fucking... (laughs) So this isn't about the murder? What murder? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So he ends up eventually getting picked up on the murder. He basically gets railroaded. They they give him a trial. It's a seven-day trial. He's found guilty uh, right off the bat. And in January 1956, uh, he gets sentenced to life in Jackson prison. Good old Jackson. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> Good old return oh. prison. Uh-oh. That's Damn. A, that's not him. Oh, okay. Oh, I was going to say. That looks I like Paul Walmart. Walmart. Boy, there for us. There. Yeah, that's not him. Well, Chester's a black dude. It's always I mean, cool when know, prisons are shaped like home plate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't know, especially back in those days. I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm. old pictures and shit. Yeah. You really can't fucking tell half the time. Yeah, that prison fucking is uh, built like, shaped like home plate, like a motherfucker. I never knew that. So see up front it says world's largest prison. 
uh, oh, yeah. Jackson, Michigan. It's probably not anymore. Oh, that I'm was sure. probably at the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. This is yeah. <laughs> Back in those days, you know, Jackson wasn't as populated as it is now. It's a highly populated city. So, so ironically, he says, "Oh, that's something to be proud of." Mm-hmm. This picture comes from the Michigan poor Michigan Prison Tourism Board, which is where I usually get prison pictures from whenever I throw up a prison a picture of whatever <laughs> prison we cover. So. City or states love to promote their prisons, dude. They fucking put together little drawings and stuff. I'm like, go us. Look at this fucking prison we built. Well, you, whatever it is, world's largest. I mean, if the motherfucker with the world's lar- largest, like, rubber band ball or some shit gets some credit, fuck it. This is a whole prison. Right? And, and it's in Michigan. They're like, why would you Why would you make the world's largest, or why would you build the largest prison? Like, murder capital, bro. Money. We, got a, we need a yeah. lot of people. <laughs> Money. Money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why Jackson is a more built-up town now, right? Yeah. Dude, you see, uh, you see how we railroaded Chester. You know how many people <laughs> we can do that to? We'll fill this bitch up, dude. Now, what is? I always thought railroaded meant like getting fucked over. Like if you're innocent, you get screwed. But like, no, he shot that dude in the well, face, right? You're technically right. I guess the only reason I said that is because it seemed like he was kind of pushed through the system real quick. Yeah. It was just kind of like, well, he is an habitual burglar. So, (laughs) I think it depends too, because if you think about, let's say you're really guilty of something, but the evidence isn't there, and they fake as evidence to convict you, that would still be they're still railroading, even though you did the crime. That is true. I'm I'm going with what he said. There's, there's not, <laughs> the Duke is not buying it. <laughs> Let me see He's about to dig a fucking trench. We're going <laughs> World War One in this motherfucker. Because if we're going off uh, historical facts, the day before they did let him go for lack of evidence. I say these cops are in the up and up. The future trial, they did have significant evidence, so they did fast lane it. I mean, I'm all for it. Why clog up the system if the man is clearly guilty? Give me the transcripts. Release the emails. The Duke has spoken. Drop the gavel. If there's anybody that we know isn't up to fuckery, it's the Detroit police. (laughs) If there's one institution we can trust, it's the Detroit police officer. Yes. So, in prison, he now makes some real underworld connections, including local mafioso. Detroit, back in the day, was very different from most cities, in that in the 50s, mobsters didn't associate with black dudes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was kind of like taboo or whatever. Now, but well, that was earlier. By the time you get to the 50s, a lot of them are, but they're trying to keep it like real arm's length, their business. Like, you see, like, even uh, Bumpy Johnson, you know, him and Lucky Luciano, they're like, like, they got along, they were really good boys, but... You know, he was like they go play chess together and shit like that. Mm-hmm. He just kind of kept it. But Detroit was different. They were very like uh, equal opportunity. You know, they're, they're like, look, if we're making money together, we all live in this very diverse community. They didn't give a fuck. So not only did they run with black dudes, they did it like openly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They didn't care. So he goes to prison and they're like, damn, you rob a lot of shit and shoot a lot of people. We kind of like that. You want to be boys? <laughs> it just enhances his gangsterness. Like he, yeah. like you said, it's Gangster Academy. Like He goes to prison and they think, we got him. In reality, boom, just more connections one. are made. So he makes a bunch of mob connections, but he spent most of his time studying the law and learning the ins and outs of the legal system and processes. So, you know, he hangs out, meets a couple mobsters, but he really just hangs out in the library all the time. And I, I've I've heard interviews with people that went to prison with him, and they're like, no, he literally is all he would do is go 
read all day. And you all laughed about that ninth grade education. <laughs> if he only had a third grade education, he wouldn't have been able to do that. See? Hey, ninth he had grade. that genius level. Like that. <laughs> That's why he left the ninth grade. He was bored. He's like, I already read all the books. I'm done with this fucker. He got his prison doctorate. Yeah. You know? I mean, that is actually a very common thing. Some people do just straight up drop out of high school. Like, this is a waste of my time. Like, they're not teaching me anything. I'll just get my GED and be done with it. The shit's lame. Well, it works because he learns law inside and out, and he starts uh, making appeals on his behalf and uh, filing motions. He Andy Dufresne it. He started doing all the prison guards' taxes and shit. <laughs> and uh, in the fall of 1969, a motion he filed for a retrial was granted. So they set him up with a retrial. So he's in there, what was that, 13 years? Yeah. That was 50, okay. 13 years. 56, I think. So this time... Chester comes up with a plan. He decides he wants to waive his right to a jury because he's like, I want to get to this quick with a judge. I only got to convince one person, make this as easy as possible. Well, and also, if he's a smart dude, that means he's going to make logical by the law sort of shit that a judge would know. And a judge would be like, well, that's a technicality. So you would, whereas a jury trial, they'd have to be like, he's a criminal, he's dangerous, and people aren't gonna go off of the technicality shit they're gonna see him as a criminal once again that's that genius stuff. i think he might be nobel prize iq <laughs> <laughs> 140 they were uh they were railroading them on 140 <laughs> this time he decides he's gonna work out a plea bargain so most of his thing is he says look i will plead guilty to second degree murder um and tell you what happened but i don't think you know it, it didn't go down like everybody said so the judge is like, well, then you have to answer some questions. I mean, if you're pleading, well, let's talk about it. And uh, Chester agrees to talk to him. So he answers the judge's questions about the murder. And the transcripts, I read those. They're pretty. It's a pretty dark conversation. He was mm. pretty honest with his judge about the situation. Very point blank and just explained the whole thing. It's, it's kind of creepy. Well, really, if you're already convicted of the crime, you could be as honest as you want. They can't convict you more right. of the crime. You're already right. convicted of it. He's actually thinking, if I explain the story, it's worse than what yeah. you accuse me of. <laughs> it's like a no-lose situation. Worst comes to worst, you're already convicted of the same shit. Best thing, you get out. So that's what he did. He basically said, look, we just tried to rob the guy. He came at me. I hit him with the gun. The gun went off. I told him to stop resisting. <laughs> the judge hears him out, and the judge accepts his plea and sentences him to 13 to 20 years. And on September 18th, Chester Campbell was released on time served. Mm. Damn. That's how you do it. <laughs> he works on that big neck charm on that judge. <laughs> Once released, he returned to his old neighborhood in Detroit's west side. He got a house on the 5,000 block of Ivanhoe. Uh, he bought a couple legal businesses. He got a service station on Oakland, and then uh, he bought a club on Warren and McGraw. <laughs> That's my old stumping grounds. So he, now he's got a house, and he's out jail. He's free, and he's got a couple legal businesses, and he's like, you know what? It's time to get back to some crime. I am not down with this bullshit. <laughs> well, of course. It's too good to be true. I was mm. like, wow, you really turned it around quick. Burglar got to burgle. Yep. He drove by that same old store, and it just, like, triggered him. Well, like, oh, he actually decided, of the crimes he's now good at, he doesn't like burgling. 
<laughs> so I mean, he he would he'd do some heroin. He'd sell heroin, <laughs> do other side hustles and stuff. But Just on the side. Yeah, I mean, it really was, and it's weird because they say you know it was like a side gig. He didn't do it a lot, but there's like a couple times where it's like a couple ounces of heroin. I'm like, ah, that feels like a lot of heroin. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know, but that doesn't sound like a side gig. That sounds like he's slaying heroin, man. <laughs> I mean, when you have two legitimate businesses. And then every now and then you dabble in a few ounces of heroin. Yeah, that's a, you know, it's a side business. Cause your, your time investment, see, it's just a small amount of time investment compared to what you put in your other businesses. So it's almost like the Christmas bonus, you know, exactly. extra money. Exactly. And I mean, if you got the money, it's always better to work in bulk. <laughs> <laughs> He primarily would work to make money as a freelance enforcer and hitman for the Detroit mob. Damn, so he's just like <laughs> this boss dude, like running his car wash. Like, there's some people like, hey, Mr. Campbell, how are you today? He's like, not bad. But then other times he's just like, yeah, pay me 50 bucks. I'll punch that dude in the face. Well, one thing he was against, he didn't like being uh, characterized as a thug. An enforcer he was down with. So he was strictly doing like high-end mob shit like he didn't want to like uh, he's like a hooker that's an escort yes <laughs> that's what's going on there's a fine line between the two <laughs> no i mean i all jokes aside i think that's a fair analogy there is a distinction between it so he excelled as a hitman he would surveil his targets every move he basically stalk them he'd learn every detail about them their schedules their routines their family lives their family routines he would just do find like everything make sure no mistakes. He kept detailed notes, and he wanted to know like every detail about everybody. So his friends, the people he didn't like, the cops he worked with, crooked cops. He just kept notes and spied on everybody. Like He just wanted to know everything. I mean, it makes sense if you're in that life because you never know when, uh, you know, somebody flips on you or whatever else, but you probably got a better chance of telling, knowing if, hey, if me and your buddies, and I know... You got in trouble with the police a couple times and whatnot. And I kind of gauge your moves and what you're doing. It's like, oh, he's snitching. So I might just have to take you out real quick, Locke, because, you know, I can't go back to jail. So <laughs> no hard feelings. I think he, like I said, he was part nerd, part meathead. I think he just liked making charts and tracking shit, <laughs> like doing all the research. Sometimes that's fun. Like doing all the research and shit is just as much fun as whatever you're doing. And then at the end of the day, his I want to punch somebody in the face. I want to fuck somebody up part is the end goal. But, I mean, I bet you he really dug the whole making the bios, making the charts, and tracking everything. It's like, like his own little depth chart. Yeah. See, but as, like, a full meathead, I heard that, and I'm like, Bro, you're doing too much. Just, <laughs> just do the job. Like, that's too much. Dude, you just go punch that dude, you take the money, and then uh, get back to it. He had the first Excel spreadsheet. His obsession with information, he ended up becoming like a de facto underworld spy slash intelligence officer. Nice. So at one point I heard him described as John Wick meets Hannibal Lecter meets James Bond. <laughs> like he's just I doing like a little it. bit of all of it. I like it. Top tier, top like tier, it. top tier. Like the Damn. best of the best. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and be back in a minute. Round 
with me Spit like a baron, rulers of bread like Kaiser Roll with the goal and get beaten like outsiders These amateur animals swing in the wrong jungle Climbing the wrong vines mean these lions will snuff you Concrete wilderness building our own structures Writing our own order, appointing our own judges Overthrowing authority, morally lack conscience Fighting for survival with rivals with throat punches So when we left off, Chester Campbell had turned himself into a premier enforcer, hitman, and underworld kind of intelligence officer in the Detroit underworld. Now, he eventually becomes such an efficient hitman that the Detroit mob would farm him out to mafia families across America, and he would charge as much as 25 to 50k a hit. Wow. This is another case of the like traveling hitman? Yeah. Wow. And this is like in the 70s? Uh, the this would still be the... Because uh, he got out in 69. Yeah, this would be the 60s still. Late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Yeah, I did the math on it. Uh, with inflation, it's a lot, It's like 50K is around the spending value about 403. A lot of money. So yeah. that's close to half a million per hit. Damn. How do you keep doing that? You know, maybe I think about money different, 
but and this is where it's like he's a smart guy, but not. How many hits do you have to do to retire? <laughs> like like in today's time, right? You're a hit man. You get four hundred thousand a hit. How many before you retire? But that's the thing. He already had successful businesses. He already had but like he's doing it for but the four hundred four hundred k is four hundred k. That's what I'm saying. When you're asking like how much is enough, he's never gonna reach. It's like Breaking Bad. He's never reaching that number. It's the thrill of the game. DC, uh, when you so. when you love what you do, you never work a day <laughs> yeah, in your life. That's true. I guess that's hey, true. And they were talking about. They said. They would kind of farm them out to other families. They said, like, in Boston, New York, New Jersey, Philly, Chicago. I'm like, dude, that's a... Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. If and that's not even sure. counting your Detroit work. They're right. probably paying more in places like New York and stuff like that, too. So. Well, yeah, because cost of living. Yeah, of you know, course. You gotta, you gotta, yeah. Inflation. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing a Boston hit at fucking <laughs> right. Detroit just, prices, right. motherfucker. Get out of here. I just picture him sitting in his apartment. The phone rings. He answers it. And he just, like, throws a random number. And they're like... Yeah, cool. And he's just in there like, wow, that works. So the price keeps getting up. Like, he keeps testing his luck, and it works. Yeah, he's waiting to see how high he can go. So he's doing good, but now there were some things that changed while he was in prison. He was in prison for a long time. And through the 50s and 60s, Detroit racial tensions was it was crazy. Uh, eventually exploded. You had the riots of 67. There was like, another riot in 68. Why couldn't they just be, like, criminals and get along? That's fucking ridiculous, right? That's yeah. the crazy part is... In the meantime, it's the only place where the, the mobsters of different colors get along, but nobody else can. That's it's, usually how it works. This was going to say, like, historically speaking, even the cowboy days, the outlaws and shit, the criminal underbelly definitely doesn't seem to have as deep racial tensions as, like, normal society. Right. When this happened, a lot of the Italians, they moved out to the suburbs. But there was a guy, uh, his name was Tony Giacalone. And he was a big-time mobster. He was a capo. The Giacalone brothers, they eventually his brother becomes like a street boss. They're like Detroit Mafia royalty, like their generations. And Tony Giacalone, he had actually had like a prodigy. is Frank, uh, Frank Usher. His nickname was Big Frank Nitty. Mm-hmm. And he had kind of groomed him up like when he was like a teenager and started running the streets. Giacalone kind of took him under his wing. Like Frank Usher used to always say, like, I'm going to be the black, first black dude to get made and shit like that. And uh, Jackaloni basically gave him a crew as a branch of his crew and let him run all their rackets out of their na- out of his neighborhoods and stuff. So they would, you know, he'd handle like the prostitution, the gambling, the heroin, everything for the Jackaloni family. But he was running that shit, and they would do it out in the open. So, like I said, even where in other cities they'd work together, but they tried to keep it at arm's dif- distance. There's like stories like. They would have, like, giant barbecues on Belle Isle and have, like, softball games, and it'd be, like, 30 made men and a bunch of black heroin dealers and shit, and they're just out there, like, playing softball and barbecuing together and shit. The good old days. Right. (laughs) With the rest of the city, they're, like, more divided than ever, and these motherfuckers are having a fucking softball game. Like, ah, come on out to Belle Isle. Let's just go fucking party and shit. So, Usher starts running this crew, and uh, he calls it Murder Row. They kind of introduce Chester to Frank. And they start running together, and with Chester's muscle, Frank's rackets, Chester soon becomes, like, the top hitman in Murder Row. And now they got, like, this badass muscle guy, badass enforcer, and they just start fucking taking shit over. They're killing the game. Making a name for themselves. Great combination. They, They become some of the most feared gangsters in Detroit. So I heard a story about Chester Campbell. You know, it's the old cliche. Like, everybody would think they're a gayster until Chester walks in the room. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, fuck. Like, 
focus up. This motherfucker ain't fucking around. <laughs> um, there was a story that uh, his nephew had stole some money off him on a heroin deal. And Chester found out. So he goes, he finds his nephew, and he grips him up, and he drags him down in the basement. And he's like, if you were anybody else, I'd kill you for that. Mm-hmm. But since you're my sister's son, I'm going to let you live. I'm just going to castrate you. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. And, I thought he was going to like shoot him in a kneecap or something, but <laughs> No, that's wow. too nice, DC. <laughs> Maybe, okay, two kneecaps. Like, you know, shoot out both his <laughs> knees with castration. Wow. No, wait, wait, you said he said that to him. Did he really castrate this dude? That's that's the word. I mean, it's, it comes from a federal prosecutor that got it uh, out of Wayne County. I was hoping that was like a threat. Like, An urban Because man. the way you said like, and he told him, I'll just castrate you. Like, oh, say he didn't. I mean, he did let him man. live, though. That's not life. That's not life. That's what I thought too. I thought like, can you just shoot? I'm sorry, Uncle. Can you just shoot me? My bad. How about? See, I got so many quite like, like Khaleesi said in Game of Thrones. Do they take the pillar and the stones? Like, I don't know. Because I mean, if the pillar's there, at least still do something. God damn, that's uh see in this whole time I was wondering like, all right, Doctor Death, where does this come from? I mean, I get it, he's a good assassin, but this like last paragraph you just threw at us, all of a sudden like, yeah, it's more like the jokes we did in the beginning. Like he enters the room and just sucks the air out of it. Everyone's like afraid of him. He's cutting the nuts off his own nephew. There's just like, like a, a weird fog that follows him everywhere yeah, he goes. There's always smoke, even on a sunny day. Like <laughs> I mean, he was provoked. Fuck. You know, his nephew did steal from him you know sometimes you gotta cut a dude's balls off hey dude even even in old school like aladdin days they took hands yeah can you take the hand please a couple fingers a hand or something well and it's ironic i do not want to rip you off damn i've seen other i've seen a different nephew and a niece that were like i loved him he was a great family man yeah, as long as you didn't rip him off. Huh? She was talking about, she's like, yeah, there was times when my husband wasn't shit, and I'd just go to him. Like, he's, there's been times where he saved my house. He'd just be like, yeah, I got you. But you fuck him on some heroin one time, he will cut it all off, man. Uh, that's so, it. Don't cut into his business. So, see, he really just, he cut his nephew's balls off because he's like, you're too stupid to have children. That's Your sister asked me for money, and I gave it to her. Why are you stealing from me? Like, that was a principle thing. Like, he just got his nuts like, you're too stupid to live, man. Like, you shouldn't have children. You're a dummy. I would have gave you it. You know you know who doesn't fuck with me? The Jackalonies. <laughs> who the fuck are you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking what you said, though. He probably was like, listen... I just don't want you reproducing, so we're just going to go ahead and cut it here. Don't make the mistake again, but I'll let you live. Um, there was another story where he had a hit, and he killed the guy and his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. They left a restaurant, got in the car, he shot them both in the head. Two other guys that he worked with got convicted of the hit, got life in prison, and still wouldn't snitch on him because nobody wanted to cross Chester Campbell. So he killed a guy and his wife, and two other guys did time for it, and they're like, fuck it, I'd rather do life in prison. I, uh, I yeah, listen, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take my odds. Yeah, I'm snitching. <laughs> Put it on the record. I'm not going down for your murder. <laughs> <What is protection? laughs> exactly, listen. 
you know, listen, I can go and get, you know, as the listeners know, I am hair follically challenged. I'll go get a whole wig and everything. I go get a curly afro. <laughs> Change my name. <laughs> I'd rather be in prison tickling my balls. <laughs> Another big thing that happened while Chester was in prison was heroin became like a top racket. And Detroit was a major player uh, nationwide. So like 80% of the heroin in America was coming through Detroit. Mm-hmm. So for one, the Jackalonis had connections. They could get into Canada and then down through Canada into America. See, and you thought the brag stopped at the world's biggest prison. <laughs> Wait till you hear our heroin numbers. So heroin in Detroit is huge. There was also, there was a former Detroit police officer turned drug kingpin. His name was Henry Blaze Marzette. Mm-hmm. Damn, even the cops have cool AKAs. <laughs> well, so he was, he was one of the top narcotics officers in Detroit. He was... A superstar, like up and coming officer. It sounds like a comic book character, like Blaze, Officer Blaze. He fights the criminals on their terms. Oh <laughs> yeah, like the some aviators. sweet, like no, like some eighties, like Bret Hart, fucking crazy, like tented ones. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, in the eighties we were going lokes, but uh, this is still the seventies. He so. was way ahead of the game. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> He got the cool, like, Kanye ones, but it's, like, the slots <laughs> over the eyes. The shutters? Yeah, oh, he got no. the shutters. Um, but then eventually, he's just making all these busts, and he's, like, the superstar narcotics officer. And then he ended up getting busted for robbing narcotics, <laughs> de- like, the heroin dealers and shit. And then they sent him to prison, and then once you go to prison, you're a cop. He had two choices, either get murdered or go hard in the paint, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he just took over, and he basically declared himself the Detroit drug kingpin and once he went back on the street he just kind of took over the heroin game now blazed in yeah okay and this is all while chester was in prison still so now he's out and he's like the top heroin dealer and uh he decides he wants to organize all the black drug dealers into one organization independent of the italians because even though they're all selling drug heroin and they're making a ton of money mm-hmm. they got to get it all from the italians still mm-hmm. so he decides he works out some of his own connections and he's like Hey, so he put together, it was like a, they called it like a, the little Appalachian or something, but he put together a big meeting in the early seventies in Detroit of all the, the big drug dealers, East side, West side, got them all together. <laughs> it was like, it was like warriors. He's up there. Yeah. Can you dig it? it? It really was, man. That's what he was trying to do. <laughs> and, uh, he was basically like, nah, we just take this shit over. We'll just cut them out fucking completely. So there's a handful of guys right off the bat. They're like, fuck yeah. We're with you. But there was a big chunk that was like, nah, we're good. And he was like, well, what the fuck? What are you talking about? So there was a bunch of people that were like, look, from what I'm making money, and they're my boys, so I'm good. I mean, I get it that they're Italian, but... You Do know. you have an annual softball game? Right. No? All right. You weren't even at the softball game, okay? <laughs> you can't play short. Get the fuck out of here. So a lot of them were like, nah, we're just going to stick with this. It's going good. I'm not trying to risk some st- shit. And then there was a whole big, another big chunk that was like... You know what? I think he's right. But if I'm like, fuck the Italians, then why am I going to come work for you? I might as well stay with the Italians. I'm actually going to do your plan, but I'm just going to do my... Uh, do it I'm, myself. I'm going to do it myself, too. So now now there's this fucking war zone. So he has this group of dudes that go with him, and they're like, oh, we're going to be independent. And then there's Chester Campbell and these guys that are like, no, we're sticking with the Italians. And then there's a bunch of guys that are like... No, he's right, but we still don't want to work for him. So mm-hmm. we're just all doing... So now it's just a fucking chaos of drug fucking... 
wars in the streets. God damn it, Blaze. He came and fucked it all up. <laughs> Which is ironic. blazing hot. Because he had a good plan. He wasn't wrong. He was trying to bring unity. I liked it. No, he was trying to racially divide for no reason and just caused an eruption. He is a great divider. There is no reason. If you can do it yourself, you have to work for the Italians. So he was right. You got to The problem is he created a bigger divide. But you mean, listen, if you can do it yourself, why do you have to work with them? I liked Blaze a lot better when I thought he was a Streets of Rage character. (laughs) Now I don't like him. This leads to a two years of all-out drug war. It's uh, over 200 murders in the street. You know, the early 70s Detroit, that was like the murder capital of times. Would you say he set the streets on fire? (laughs) (laughs) A blaze. Now, the war slowly subsides when Marzette dies. He dies of kidney failure in 1972. In his house, I believe. What a lame-ass way to go. His, uh, what did you call him a pussy? <laughs> yeah, with your pussy-ass kidneys. <laughs> hey, Blaze Marzette is definitely one of those stories that it comes out like, damn, this is pretty crazy. And then like, well, then he started a bunch of trouble. He didn't win. And then he died of kidney <laughs> failure in his house. There's a Maybe you should have stayed a cop. A you show I watched. And uh, this guy dies while making a latte. And the guy was talking to his son. He goes, he died making a fucking latte. <laughs> he goes, when I die, I hope I die on top of your mother. Like, <laughs> He was like, yeah, you're going to die a masculine death. I'm like, what? So now he dies off. The war kind of subsides. But this kind of actually leads Chester expanding his freelance services because he was kind of, you know, originally sponsored by and kind of brought up and tutored by the Italians. But now there's kind of little independent operations all over. So now he starts freelancing for, in addition to doing hits and enforcer work for the mob, he does it for all these different independent black operators too. So he's just literally making money hand over fist, just anybody that needs something. The only problem was he was so feared and shady. Like I heard a quote that said, you can hire him to kill somebody. And then a month later, somebody will hire him and then he'll be showing up to kill you because it's just business. It's the next job, you know. It's just business. It's, it's, yeah. Hey, I have a going rule on the show. It's just business, baby. <laughs> Give me a half million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For well, those prices. Did I ever tell you I appreciate you? <laughs> appreciate you, motherfucker. <laughs> well, and, and since uh, since everybody knows he's like an information junkie, they're like, well, fuck, I don't even want to fuck. I don't even want to get on his radar. You know what I mean? Because you. you do any kind of business with this motherfucker you're gonna end up in one of his uh on one of his charts somewhere and now i'm in the fucking loop i just want to stay off the chester radar man you see this motherfucker's pie charts he's the real life boogeyman you want to get on his bar graphs fuck with him he knows what your cousin ate for breakfast last week toasted bagel with peanut butter (laughs) that's probably right you've been looking at his documents i take my own notes man in 1972 oh hold on i never go into this uh this picture of uh, you've been Tony, holding out on this Tony Jackaloni. I figure I definitely got to throw this one in there because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the scowl that half the people that played characters in Sopranos watched. <laughs> like, okay, let's look at this motherfucker. Okay, yeah, that's the face I'm going for because that's like he looks like a mix of Junior and Polly Walnuts from Sopranos. There's yeah. still a lot of uh, Jackalones around Michigan too. Yeah. That family is definitely still here. Hey, and you see, he's holding up that uh. That fucking clipboard says six foot one ninety five. That's a decent sized dude. Yeah. Um little ass neck though. <laughs> <laughs> that's no seventeen. We have that stick no neck shit around here. 
16 and a half ass <laughs> neck and shit. Better check your neck. 1972, Chester gets into an argument with a drug dealer named Roy Parsons. Roy Parsons pulls out a gun and shoots him in the leg. Shortly after this, Roy Parsons was killed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, That's what happens. <laughs> Should have seen that coming. Why would you like if you if you get the drop on somebody like Chester? How do you end up just shooting him in the leg when you know who he is? You know the reputation. At that point, you got to go all the way. You got to, you know. Yeah, trembling with fear, and his aim was a little off. <laughs> he brought a gun to a soul stealing fight. <laughs> Chester gets charged with the murder when uh, one of his associates, a guy named Watusi Slim. Watusi. Yeah. His actual is Watusi Slim Newton. So Watusi was his real last first name, hey, I guess. Like that's, why not? That's yeah. low-key a sweet name without the AKAs. Yeah. Just Watusi Slim. I mean, AKAs in this story are probably right up there. It's probably one of the best AKA episodes we've had. 100%. Yeah, definitely. So he, he claimed Chester set up the hit and agreed to testify. A couple weeks before the trial, Watusi Slim was found murdered in a prison cell in the no. witness protection wing of a federal prison with his eyes gouged out. You don't say. So, DC, uh, you were talking about that witness protection program. Them fake hair follicles aren't going to I would have been a different one. It was, it was, a, it was a whole different, oh, yeah, 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 okay. different spot. Well, who's he, he? Like, is he doing all these? He can't be doing all these personally. So he, He's oh. connected, too. You yeah, that's what I'm saying. So he got all his murder row boys doing that shit. Yeah. So it's not only him, but he got other, like, boogeymen on the scene. Yeah. Well, and that was Boogie in Ohio. Minions. So not a, it was a federal prison, witness protection. It was also in Ohio. So it was a different state and everything. And then they're like, all right, trial's coming up. Go get Watusi Slim. And they go in there. And uh, I heard one, I heard his eyes were gouged out. The other one, I heard his, uh, they cut X's into his eyes. Mm. Either way, they killed him. Yeah. They it was gruesome. Out. Yeah. This hits for Chester, man. We have to go extra for this one. Right. Yeah. If it gets back to him that it was some bullshit ass hit, he's <laughs> I wanna, not going to like that. I want to keep my notes. Yeah. <laughs> He'll take the left nut just if, like, it's not a cool enough kill. So he was kind of the driving force behind the, uh, the, the acquit, uh, whatever, between the, behind the charges. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, just whatever that. <laughs> whatever, the legal things. I'm not Chester fucking Campbell, okay? The legal situation that was going on didn't work without Watusi Slim. And after his murder, the charges were dropped. So, yeah, got so he just murders his way out of murder charges. <laughs> <laughs> like you just double down on murder. What a <laughs> it's like a double negative. You double up murder, it cancels out. That was a big thing back in the day, though. A lot of people did that, where it's like, you know, I mean, the mob was really famous for that. You go and get ready to testify, they go to trial, and all of a sudden, there's no witnesses anymore. They either died or, or changed their story miraculously. Because you know? other ones, <laughs> yeah. Jury number seven ended up sick. Exactly. There's air quotations for the listeners. He's doing visual jokes. <laughs> Thank you. That's the official sound bite for air quotes. Chester, now, in a lot of ways, like, he had a lot of the typical gangster stuff. You know, he dressed really well. He took his appearance serious. You know what I mean? He always wanted to look the best. Stayed manicured, sharp, smelled good, fucking everything. And I have proof of that later in the story. So that's fucking... (laughs) With how OCD he sounds, like, with taking notes and how detailed he is... 
those people tend to be like that. That's not yeah. a that's not a shocker. He had a ball room. log of how his balls felt every day. Today, very fresh. Log has scratch and sniff notes. I, I have proof. <laughs> no watch. I'm telling you, it'll it'll come back in the story. For real. Like this motherfucker took his appearance appearance serious. Chester, aka Dr. Death, is a proud sponsor of Manscaped. <laughs> That's my actual note here. He took his appearance very serious. Very serious. (laughs) But what made him a little bit different was, like, where the other guys, they go go to the fights. They go to the underground casinos, gambling dens, pool halls, shit like that. Like, his favorite spot was the DIA. So he loved art. He liked art museums. He liked all the big-time downtown shit. So at the Cultural Center, the Detroit Public Library is right across from the DIA. So he'd always hang out at the library, go to the DIA. He was like a big time ladies man, so he was always taking uh he'd take him to like plays and operas and symphonies and he'd always be out walking the river walk. This dude is a comic book. Though. Damn girl, you ever seen Hamilton? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like for real. This is he is like the super villain in the Marvel show. Hey, I will say this. It works. That was my move. That's how I pulled my wife. I took her to the DIA and shit. And was just like, oh, yeah, look, I look at pictures and shit. You know what I mean? I fucking... See? Books, like, listen, you have none of that in you. How does she How does she buy that? You have... Well, see, that's the thing. Is like, that could backfire so easily because you're setting yourself up to fail because all of a sudden she can call you on all your bullshit. No, what I did was I look up... All you got to do... And now it's easier because you got the internet. I looked up one thing. So it was the William Randolph Hearst armor collection. And then I knew a couple things about William Randolph Hearst and like the hemp and stuff like that. You just heard You just say that and it sounds like you know some fucking shit at the DIA. As we all know, Locke does his research. All right? Don't play. He just heard armor and he was all about like, there's fucking battle wear and art. And it's all fun and games until she orders an expensive ass sandwich. (laughs) And then it's even more fun in games when he orders two. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was o- he would always uh, he just always hang at all the the high end Detroit establishments. So that was kind of his routine. Only the fanciest Coney Islands, Lafayette. He began dating a woman. Eventually, I heard her referred to as his common law wife too. So they must have been dating for a long time. She owned a funeral home in Detroit. He would work for her. This was actually like the only. Mm-hmm. legit work he ever did i told you i told you he might have been working in the funeral home this is when people started calling him the undertaker and uh there yeah, you go. it was his first legit job he would work he would drive the hearse he would you know what that means you know, i'm back i haven't DC, called one in a long time DC back. predictions baby <laughs> He had, he had a rough season. Look, season one, rookie of the year. You know, he comes out with the DC predictions killing right, it. Right, right. And then season I fell two, off. Yeah, he got the sophomore slump. <laughs> it happens. What are you going to do? We need to have a sound drop for something like, DC predictions. <laughs> so that's going to be the end of part one of the Chester Campbell story. So tune in for the next episode where we'll finish off uh, the story of Dr. Death, the Undertaker. Before we go, I want to recommend the book Diary of a Motor City Hitman, The Chester Wheeler Campbell Story by Christian Cipollini. It's a great book. It's a fun read. It's the best source of information on Chester Wheeler Campbell. We wouldn't have been able to do this episode without it. You can follow Christian Cipollini at Gangland Legend on both Twitter and Instagram. He's a great follow. He's a mob historian. 
Uh, he does a lot of stuff on Lucky Luciano also. He go to his Etsy. He has customized action figures on both Chester Wheeler Campbell and Lucky Luciano. So follow him, Christian Cipollini, at Gangland Legend on Instagram and Twitter. But go out and get the book, Diary of a Motor City Hitman, the Chester Wheeler Campbell story. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. The good guy coming last place You smell that dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy The good guy coming last place Smell the dope when I pass by Down bad, my mama had to be dead Spent my birthdays in the trap, we had to work with what we had She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the camera And I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands A hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams I done money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols Fuck a judge with a grudge, I'm blowing crud for my mental life ay. And I still keep it on me, run and tell your big homie First you meet your dead homie, ay. yeah Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. The good guy coming last place You smell that dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. Dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace 